think people, if you're going in large groups, you don't know who's vaccinated or not. You just don't know. And I'm gonna tell right people, you can't trust people because I clearly know of some people that know they have been COVID positive and they still get on a plane because they said they just need to do it. That's Dr. Yvette McQueen, a travel enthusiast who travels for pleasure and work as an emergency physician. She's on a mission to educate about health, travel, wellness, and disease prevention. Welcome, I'm Tanya Fitzpatrick. And I'm Ian Fitzpatrick, and this is World Footprints. Dr. McQueen knows a thing or two about the ailments that travelers often face. She's the go-to person for medical advice when she's traveling with others, and she's used her experiences and knowledge to write a couple of books offering medical advice to the traveling community. As a locum's physician, Dr. McQueen travels to different places to provide medical assistance. As a locums doctor, and that's in Latin, locums tenum is temporary doctor or substitute doctor. I travel around the United States working at different hospitals in the emergency department. So as an emergency physician, I go in, I work a few shifts. I'm a substitute doctor of people who's taking leave, whether they're taking leave for family, maternity, did the contract change, they need to substitute, or is it in a rural hospital where they can't get doctors there on a regular basis? So right now I do have seven state license. Uh, I can go to those seven state license along with government institutions like the Indian Health Service. And I also have worked in the Caribbean in the United States Virgin Island and also on Bermuda Island. I did just get back from New Mexico. I was working in rural, <laughs> rural New Mexico on a Navajo uh, reservation and one of their healthcare centers in high altitude and I felt it. So, how does one with a strong wanderlust find themselves attracted to the demanding practice of medicine? Actually, I was attracted way back in high school, and that was many years ago for me, but I was always a science nerd, biology, chemistry, loved it. I don't have any like life altering decisions that made me decide that. What made me go into emergency medicine though is my personality. Emergency medicine, we, I say don't like commitments. <laughs> so I like taking care of patients. I like solving problems because a lot of times there's a lot of puzzles when they come in the emergency department. But I didn't want the overhead of an office or the long relationships. I like taking care of people, fixing them and moving on. So the travel bug, how did that uh, hit you, especially being a doctor and having kind of busy schedule that doctors have, it wouldn't necessarily avail itself to travel a lot. Well, the travel bug also hit me when I was young. When I was in a junior high school, I belonged to uh, the Big Blue Marble. I'm dating myself here. <laughs> <laughs> but it was on a Saturday and it was a show about international and I had a pen pal back when we could write people with real letters. I had a pen pal in uh, West Germany. That's also dating me. So I, we wrote each other. And then by the time I, between my 10th and 11th grade, I actually, my father said, you want to go visit her? And I was like, sure. So that was actually my first solo trip, my first airplane trip and my first international trip. And I spent three weeks in West Germany, between West Germany and Switzerland. 
And after that, I was like, I'm hooked. I need to travel. I love to travel. And I used to just drive to the airport and watch the planes take off. And I love to travel. Now, when it's come to being a physician, yes, while I was studying and training, I didn't have a lot of time to do that. But I also had some of my uh, training doctors, the attendings, a couple of them did locums. And I would see them every now and then. They're like, oh, yeah, I can work four or five days and then go take a month off and then work 10 or 16 days and then they would go travel. So that's what made me love it. Plus I did have a steady job for my first eight years, but the last, cause I've been practicing for 20 years, but the last 12 I've done locums and it affords me to go to different places and the diversity of people around this country is just wonderful. But I put in other time, like if I'll stay two extra days and go see the Grand Canyon or, you know, I love museums. So when I was in Indiana, I was one place I could see the Clapper Girl Museum, like strange stuff like that. So that, but since I'm not messing up anyone's schedule by just being the substitute doctor, I can take a month off. I like to do missions. I've done that. So I'll work up to a certain point, take a month off and then build my travel in. Now that we understand some of Dr. McQueen's backstory, we wanted to know more about her new book, Travel 911. I wrote this book because it was actually a lead for my previous book, which is, oh, here it is. My previous book is Travelpedia, okay? It was, I wrote it three years ago. It's a quick guide on how to travel efficiently, healthy, and safely. So as a travel doctor traveling around um, the United States and Caribbean, I had to figure out ways to how to stay safe and, and healthy myself. And then I would go on different trips and group trips. And I always end up being the go-to person when people get sick. I was like, well, this needs to become a practice. So I did some study and some t travel medicine about infectious disease and other thing. And I had the emergency part of it as far as fixing injuries and uh, wounds. And I wrote this first book to let people know that, yes, it's okay to travel. And it was like, how do you go from a couch potato to explore? So it starts off about how you get a passport and this is what you need to pack and how you determine where you're going to travel. And it did talk about how to stay safe and some of the, the common medical problems. Well, some of my a more experienced travelers said, I want to know the meats and potatoes. If this is such and such happens, what do I do? So that's what I came up with Travel 911. And I was, I've been speaking on, on several different panels and with travel groups. And this is just a, I call it a dock in your pocket. You can just carry with you, put in your book bag, a backpack, fanny pack, whatever. And it just has great chapters like, okay, jet lag, how to prevent it? What do I need to do? High, high altitude sickness. Okay. Before I go on that mountain, what do I need to take with me? What do I need to do? If something happens, what do I need to do? It has a first aid chapter. You know, I sprain my ankle, can't get anybody. What did I do? Put two sticks, a magazine, tie a, a belt or a scarf, and walk out of there. So that's what the Travel 911 is about. Because travel is a part of life. It's inescapable that uh, things uh, won't happen to one on a trip. And I think every traveler has a story to tell. What are some of the basic things that every traveler should think about, given that they're bound to encounter something? You are. It Life is life. So if someone said, give me three tips real quick. First tip I always tell these people, hydrate. 
hydration is key and it's going to help you uh, prevent and cure or help a lot of the illnesses and sickness. Because if you stay well hydrated, it, it keeps your skin moist, it keeps your bones, joints good, your digestive system going, but it also helps with jet lag, it reduces uh, risk of jet lag. So hydration, hydration, hydration. Number two, get sleep. Sleep is, is important for wellness in all aspects. But when we're traveling, we're on trains, we're on planes, we're running to this, we're, we, we have a whole itinerary. I'm on vacation, so I gotta do everything. You don't have to do everything all the time. That city is still gonna be there, you can come back. So sleep is gonna help you with your immune system, staying safe and healthy, and you won't get distracted. And number three is always get your travel insurance, particularly if you're going international. You know, if COVID didn't t teach anybody anything, it's, it's get your travel insurance. Because a lot of people get it, okay, for a delayed flight or loss of bags, but it also helps you if you get in another country and get sick. Because other countries don't take your Medicare, Medicaid, your Aetna, your Blue Cross, your TRICARE, they don't care. They don't care. They want a credit card. They want their money up front from, their, from the tourists. So travel insurance with the medical component helps you to pay for anything that's going to happen, illness, accidents, and it also will help you to fly back to a first world country for medical treatment. You're listening to the award-winning World Footprints podcast with Ian and Tanya Fitzpatrick. World Footprints connects you to the world through powerful storytelling that uncovers the full narrative of our cultural and human experiences. Discover the world through stories at worldfootprints.com and make sure to subscribe to the World Footprints newsletter for compelling and exclusive content. Hippocrates said, wherever the art of medicine is loved, there is also a love of humanity. Here's more of our conversation with traveling emergency physician and telemedicine concierge, Dr. Yvette McQueen. So we've been living through the COVID pandemic for over a year, and that has impacted our ability to travel. I had to ask about the white elephant in the room and what it's been like for Dr. McQueen to travel during COVID. When it uh, first came about, you know, uh, it was late February, early March of 2020 when they declared it a pandemic. And just to explain the terms, it started in another country and then it spread across the world. And pandemic means that every country or 98% of the world is affected, affected by this disease widespread. And that's when it became a pandemic and they start shutting things down and things start changing, people not going to work. At first I was scared, I'm telling you. <laughs> But we kind of was forewarned because in February, we started to hear about it a little bit. And I guess us in the medical community start really paying attention. What really got me was when they built a hospital in like two days in China, I was like, something's mm -hmm. up. And something made me, I guess, God's intuition. I end up saying, well, let me increase some of my mask and my N95s. I carry a little bit of my own things anyway, because I'm going from hospital to hospital, not knowing what they had. So I had bought a supply of it, which I'm glad because two weeks later, they were gone. They were gone. So at, in the beginning, I was kind of afraid. I'm, we didn't know anything about the disease. People were just dropping dead. I was like, you know, did I spend all my career to do this? And I'm going to go there. Should I do this? 
But actually, God was looking out for me and a few of my jobs were actually canceled because since I work at small rural hospitals, they basically reduced their services. They reduced their elective surgeries. So they're like, well, we don't have the money to pay for you to come in or we can use our own doctors now. We just move them around. So actually the first two months, a lot of my jobs were canceled. And then when I started traveling again, we knew a little bit more and I was prepared. So I had my N95s and I travel on a plane, still travel on a plane with my N95s and another mask covering. And that's how I work. So it's like, if I can do that work, I can do that on the plane and I feel comfortable. I can breathe. I wear for 12, 14 hours at work. So two, three hours on a plane is (laughs) nothing to me. What advice would you have to someone who's trying to navigate through what one should do in terms of their own personal protection? Well, I'm going to give the date out here because, you know, with COVID, usually we usually tell things and we went into, oh, this is the advice and this is evergreen. But we, I watched it change from March 2020. And then June, people barely start traveling by the, by Christmas, people start traveling again. It is now May 2021 and people are out there. They've started traveling again. The vaccine has been around since December 2020. So some of us have been vaccinated anywhere between five and six months. But in the United States, only they said only 38% people are fully vaccinated. That means that you've received the full Johnson & Johnson or you fit the two Pfizer and Moderna and you've waited two weeks and your immune system is up. But the planes are full again. I mean, last week going to airport, I couldn't find any parking (laughs) and people are out flying. So I think people, if you're going in large groups, you don't know who's vaccinated or not. You just don't know. And I'm going to tell right people, you can't trust people because I clearly know of some people that know they have been COVID positive and they still get on a plane because they said they just need to do it. So you need to just protect yourself by masking up. And even though there's been a mandate saying the people that's that's vaccinated don't have to wear it, if you're in a large group, you now protecting yourself, protecting your family, because you can still be a carrier of it. So in case you get around some of your family members that aren't vaccinated, you don't want to be the person to pass it on. Mm-hmm. If you're in smaller groups or your cohorts or people you trust, family, and you know that you're all vaccinated, it, I say go for it, it's okay, hang out. A lot of people are traveling this summer and doing things outdoors, which is great because outdoors give you more filtration of air. It's all about the filtration of the air. If you're doing large groups though, or you're in a large mass and don't know everybody there, just wear your mask to protect you and them. There are still some countries that had yet to receive the vaccine. What is your understanding about how the vaccine has been distributed, especially to countries that people like to travel to, Caribbean islands or countries in Southeast Asia or in Africa? Well, some of the distribution is controlled by uh, the World Health Organization and other ones are, most of it's basically controlled by that country. Okay, so you had the, the vaccines, first of all, let's talk about the vaccines that's out there. So the vaccines out there, the two, what we call the messenger RNA or the new technology. It's a new technology that's using a coding. Like if you're coding for a computer, it's coding for a virus. 
and it's and it's coding it and let your your messenger RNA know that you have something foreign in your body. So it's the spike protein. That's that's produced by Pfizer and Moderna. Okay, and most of that mass production is made here in the United States. I know, but Pfizer also has a plant over in Belgium. So it's also made other places. The United States probably has the, we have the patent on it and we have it, or it's there. I shouldn't say we have the patent on it. Those are private con companies, but since they're American companies, the patents are here and the United States has bought most of their supply or has promised for most of their supply. You can get Pfizer in other countries. I know people have gotten Pfizer in other countries. The other two vaccines out there is called the AstraZeneca and the Johnson & Johnson. So Johnson & Johnson, yes, is a American company up in Michigan. And the AstraZeneca, that one's mostly produced in the UK. But that's what the UK and European were using. Those are what we call adenoviruses. So they take the message of coronavirus and put it on another dead virus, just like when we do influenza. So it's made identically to the influenza. Those are the ones that are Johnson & Johnson is a one shot. AstraZeneca is a two shot one. Those are what UK have been using a lot of places in Europe. Russia has their own and I don't understand that one. So I can't explain it. And I know a couple other countries are making that. I know Cuba has made one, but I don't know anything about it. They like the Johnson & Johnson one and a lot of the, I guess you say, underserved countries or the third world countries because it's a one-shot deal and people don't have to come back. So they like those. The problem is the WHO can say, yes, let's evenly distribute it. But one, if the country doesn't have money to buy it, or if the country government decides to buy some, but don't buy enough for all of their citizens, that's why the distribution is low. And yes, some countries have not received adequate amount. Mm -hmm. So I know, I think Kenya is one of the countries they say, hey, we had enough for probably third of our country and now we can't get any more. Help us, we can't get any more. They're still there, you know, Africa has what, 40 something countries in it? And barely 10 of them has been vaccinated because, and then now with India, India is a big producer of pharmaceuticals, if people don't know. India is a huge producer of pharmaceuticals for us, not just the vaccine. So guess what they're doing with the vaccine now that they had this sudden outbreak of everything? They're no longer exporting their vaccine to other countries. So now other countries that was getting it saying, that, I think they was doing the AstraZeneca, they're like, where's our shipment? And, and some of them have paid for it, but India said one, they're not exporting it, and two, they don't have the personnel to work the plants to make the vaccine because everybody's sick and they're closing down. So based on this troubling news, perhaps we shouldn't be so quick to travel abroad. Yeah, that's about it. Stay put. I tell people stay. And they've told people, even if in the United States, if you don't need to travel or do what we call essential travel, don't. We understand people got to do vacations because things are different from state to state. New Mexico has a strict mass policy. They will put you out. The hotel said, we will bar you from here. You have to have, when you go up to the drive-through window, you have to have on a mask. Right across the border in Texas, it's not. So people come from Texas, like, I don't need to wear a mask. CDC just said I don't. New Mexico is like, yes, you do, because this is our law. 
Mm-hmm. So that's, and then we can't even, United States still can't go to Canada. They just came out. So, you know, they said, okay, the cruises can start again. So they're trying to increase the um, Alaskan cruise because Alaskans like this cru- Alaska cruise is from June to September. Short window. They want to revive it from last year. But one of the laws was to say for it to be an international cruise, it had to make a stop in Canada. Canada said, you ain't stopping it here. No, 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 no. So it's very, you only can go to Canada from the United States if it's work related and you get, it's a type of health approval. So the, so the Senate last week actually had to pass a law to say, to say the Alaskan cruises now can go directly from Seattle, Washington to Alaska with no Canadian stop. So yes, be careful where you're going because some of the countries we do like to travel are the, the smaller countries or the islands or what we call exotic countries, their healthcare system is not our healthcare system. Their healthcare system cannot take an outbreak. So even if you go and come back, but you accidentally took COVID to them and then their population is rampant, their healthcare system is gonna break down. Ours broke down. Mm-hmm. The healthcare system in the United States broke down. So what do you think it's gonna do on a small island? Trinidad is, is a pure example of it. They were they didn't let anybody in or off for months, for months. Somehow it got there and now their cases are like blossoming and they, people can't even get in. They're like India right now. They have shown people dying next to the hospital on the lawn because they can't get inside the building. We know that Bermuda, an island that is special to us, is experiencing a spike after not having any large COVID numbers last year. That's because the Bermudians who traveled outside of the island brought the variants back. I actually worked on Bermuda and they actually have a pretty good, I think their healthcare system is comparable to the United States. They only off of the coast of North Carolina, think about it. They do use the British system, but it's still, you know, they had all specialties, but it's one hospital on the island with limited supplies and all supplies have to be flown in. So guess what? Their ICU probably only has six beds. You have six, six patients. What's going to happen to the seventh and the eighth one? What are you going to do with them? One day soon, COVID is not going to be the factor that we've had to deal with. So we asked about the most common and most unusual medical issues that she's had to address. Well, the number one a common problem people run into is travel's diarrhea. They ate something, they ate something raw. You're going to have diarrhea, you're going to have nausea, vomiting. So stomach issues too. So that's number one. Some unusual ones is worms and parasites that barrel like to get into your skin. <laughs> Those are unusual ones. And so one or two necessities that you tell travelers to take would be, I mean, Pepto, I mean, you should, you should always have a first aid kit with you, whether it's band-aids or something like that. All your medications that you like to take, whether it's prescription or over the counter, because you don't know what you're going to encounter if you're internationally. Of course, something I, I usually use a collapsible water bottle, you know, fill it up, you know, You can take it in and out the airport and different things like that. Before we wrapped up our conversation with Dr. McQueen, we had one final question for her. If you're a regular listener, you know what question is coming. On your next long haul flight, when it's safe, 
If you could choose anyone to sit next to, past or present, who would that be and why? Wow. Jesus. <laughs> Just let me know where I'm going, man. <laughs> you know what's funny, dear? Uh, when Dr. McQueen said her travel companion, her ideal travel companion is Jesus, her answer did not need a why. She did not need to answer that question. <laughs> <laughs> And, you know, she packs so much information uh, into this interview, you know, the information about how the vaccine is distributed and even how it works. Uh, So those were very nice surprises for for me. I think at the end of the day, we just have to go with what we're comfortable with, but around the guidance from the healthcare professionals and exercise some common sense. You know, we're just coming out of this. And so... While things are starting to open up, uh, we still need to be cautious, wear a mask, even when you're on a plane and you're fully vaccinated and you're out in with crowds, wear a mask, uh, you know, just to be considerate and civil towards other people who may not be protected. Right. Hippocrates of Kos, born 460 BC, was an ancient Greek physician who is traditionally referred to as the father of medicine in recognition of his lasting contributions to the field, such as the use of prognosis and clinical observation and the systematic categorization of diseases. Hippocrates is credited with coining the Hippocratic Oath, which is still relevant and in use today. So in honor of Dr. McQueen and all medical professionals who take the Hippocratic Oath, we're going to leave you with these words from Hippocrates. As to diseases, make a habit of two things, to help or at least to do no harm. We're Tanya and Ian Fitzpatrick, and we thank you for choosing to spend this time with us. Thank you for giving us the space to help you discover the world through the stories we share on World Footprints. This World Footprints podcast with Ian and Tonya Fitzpatrick is a production of World Footprints, LLC, Silver Spring, Maryland. The multi-award winning podcast is available on worldfootprints.com and on audio platforms worldwide, including iHeartRadio, Public Radio Exchange, iTunes and Stitcher. Connect with the world one story at a time with World Footprints. Visit worldfootprints.com to enjoy more podcasts and explore hundreds of articles from international travel writers. And be sure to subscribe to the newsletter. World Footprints is a trademark of World Footprints LLC, which retains all rights to the World Footprints portfolio, including worldfootprints.com and this podcast.